Well, good morning. Good morning, Community Church. We want to welcome everybody to Spruce Grove Community Church. Whether this is your first time or your home church, we believe God wants to meet you right where you're at today. This uh, last week, uh, Pastor Mark, Paul, and myself had the opportunity to go to district conference. And I may share a little bit more about this later on, but one of the speakers said something interesting. He just said a little line, and it was like this. You steer where you stare. I'll say that one more time. He said, you steer where you stare. And it made me think of a Bible verse in Hebrews. So let me just read this to you. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the, li- to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, on, who th- on whom our faith depends from start to finish. This morning, can we stare into the eyes of Jesus? Can we try to do our best to put down all those things that so easily entangle us, consume our mind, consume our thoughts? Can we put them at the feet of Jesus Christ and say today, I choose to stare into your eyes? Because as we stare into the eyes of Jesus, he will direct where we need to go. So, Father God, this morning as we come to worship you, we choose to stare into your eyes. We choose to ignore all those things that would try to come after our attention. And we say no to those things today. We choose you, Jesus, because we know that you are the answer. And we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Why don't we stand to our feet this morning? Why don't we worship with everything we have in us? Why don't we raise our hands if we need to? Why don't we do whatever it is to say this morning, I choose to set my eyes on you, Jesus. Let's do that this morning. Every time we sing this song, I always feel a kind of a conviction because I, I wonder, do these words fully represent my heart? Do I long for you in this way? Am I desperate for you? Am I really desperate for you? Father, give us the kind of desperation that pushes through the veil. Give us the kind of desperation that knows that I serve a good, good God, and I'm not paralyzed by fear. I'm not paralyzed by wonder if I run to him, will he accept me? Will he bless me? Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would remove the line that says to us, you can go this far and no further. Father, in Jesus' name, the the spiritual attack on our minds and our souls that says God hovers 
with constant disapproval over your life and you dare not do anything wrong that causes you to be so careful that you're not sure what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do. I want you to know that he's a good, good God. And we can run to him. And we can run after him with desperation, with hunger. And we don't even have to do it right. We don't have to do it right. Because he's, he's good. He's a good God. So, Father, we want to run to you today. We want to lay hold of the love of God that's seeking hard after us. Lord, we want to turn and run into your arms like the prodigal son when he came to his own, when he came to his senses. Father, we want to break through. God, in Jesus' name, open up, open up, open up. Open up. Open up right now. Open up. We say we break. We break the lethargy. We break the passivity. We break that thing that comes to cause us to slumber and sleep. We say, God, let the sound of the call and the cry of heaven awaken our hearts. Come up. 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 Jesus. 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 Jesus, lover of my soul. Jesus. Oh, oh God, we're hungry. We're desperate. We want more of you today. We receive, we receive, we receive, we receive. Stir it up. Father, we thank you that you're a good, good God. You're a good, good God. You know, this might be a little bit repetitive, but because I might touch on some of this later, but there's one of the parables where God gives out gifts and resources. And you know, there's a couple of versions of this, the minas and the talents. But when he's coming back to get a, a return on what he's given, we know that there's degrees of faithfulness and degrees of return. So one gives, you know, he receives 10, he gets 10 more, five, et cetera, et cetera. But we get down to the guy who's, who's got one. And listen to this. He says, I knew you were a hard man. That statement right there. That statement right there is the paralyzing, the paralyzing factor in our lives. It's a belief about God that he's not just, that he can't be pleased, that he's always looking for fault in you, that he's ready to hammer you, that, he, he's, that he's, not, he's not your cheerleader. But the one who ventures, the one who risks it all, believes that they are working in tandem with God. They believe that they have permission 
to experiment, to run, and to see what happens. They're not paralyzed by, I can't do anything wrong. If I, do, if I step out even a micron out of line, I'm, I'm done for. So I'm just going to take what I got, and I'm going to bury it. I'm going to hold on to the end. God's a good, good God, a good, good Father. And that, that attitude, that attitude that, oh, no, God is this way. You better not step out of line or you're done for. That is the whispering of a demonic spirit that has fallen from heaven that, that tries to whisper into your hearts that God is this other thing. But the revelation of the love of God is that he's a good, good God, and he's for you. Even to the point where he came to Adam, and Adam, he just created Adam. He said, Adam, let's do this. Let's name the animals. Adam's probably thinking, well, I don't know anything about naming animals. He said, well, I want you to do it. And so Adam starts naming the animals. And I get to see Jesse got, oh, wow, that's great. That's great. That's excellent. What about this one? What about the guy with the long, you know, the spots and the long, long neck? And I don't know whether there's any particular silence or rationale behind the naming. But God said, I want you to be a co-ruler with me, Adam. And I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to train you and I'm going to, but I'm going to rejoice in what you're doing. And you don't have to fear stepping out. Father, liberate us today from that which paralyzes, that which keeps us confined. Father, that religious spirit that says, this is not permissible, and that's not permissible, and that's not permissible. You dare not say anything wrong. You better cross every T. You better dot every I. Father, we're not going to live in fear anymore because you are a good, good Father. And even if we do it wrong, you still love us. And hope never, never steps back. Amen? It was a good time here this week. One of the interesting things, I saw this years ago, where controversial things, and this is a church that understands controversial things. Right? This is a church that, that when God was restoring a truth, this, this is a church that seemed to be the first on board to jump into it, to say, hey, we want this. This is God. We want this. And, uh, and I love that. I've been like that. My mom was like that. When uh, I became a Christian, she said, Mark, she said, wherever you see the Holy Spirit, grab, jump in with both feet. He said, and as soon as you do, people are going to say, well, watch out, be careful. Watch out, be careful because of this and this and this. He said, he said listen, the devil's been around a lot longer than you, and there's always going to be error. There's always going to be mistakes, but you're not clever enough, enough to figure out which is which. Let God do that. The Holy Spirit is given to lead you into all truth. If you see the Holy Spirit even remotely on something, jump in with both feet and just trust him. Trust him that he'll, he'll, he'll work it out. He'll teach you because he's been given to teach you. How about that? You don't have to figure it out for yourself. Faith releases the ability of the Holy Spirit to do what he was sent to do in your life. Fear immobilizes you and leaves you with the reserves that are your own cognitive abilities, which are very poor, no matter how clever you are. So uh, I noticed this, that when things were being released to the body of Christ, there's always this kickback. There's always this fear response. 
And, uh, but I started noticing, you know, over the long run, over a couple of years, I started noticing that things that one day are kind of extreme and a very narrow part of the body of Christ is jumping into it. And I remember the first real big one was the Word Faith Movement. Because I, got, I got, came to the Lord, I went to Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas in 1982. And, I mean, the whole, what's the Word Faith Movement, you know, which was really just an, a, a movement to begin to believe God, to trust God, to actually depend on God. Well, you know, uh, it, the enemy's always resisting things like this. So, I, uh, of course, I embraced it. I, I, I got touched. The Lord was building faith in my life. But I remember a few years later, I was in a Pentecostal church that was not really known for cutting-edge kinds of things. And my pastor got up, and he preached this message on faith. And I'm, I'm thinking... Is anybody seeing what I'm seeing here? This guy just gave a classic word faith message, you know, in an environment that, you know, has kind of been guarding against the excesses of faith. And I thought, I thought, God, you are amazing. You are amazing. And I, and I was, as I was trying to figure out what this was, it was almost like, you know, the whole body of Christ in the earth was this big pot of soup. And, and God takes his little eyedropper and he says, well, you know, what we need is a little more cayenne pepper. What we need is a little more. Uh... So I, I, uh, I saw this, that God is working on the body of Christ. And when he's thinking of what the body needs, he, uh, he takes from, you know, one of his truth vials or whatever. And he, he puts his, takes his eyedropper and drops in some flavor some truth flavor into that mix. And eventually, he starts to stir it around, and eventually it works its way into every single part. God has this way of taking truth that the enemy is resisting, the Antichrist spirit that's in the earth does not want to see. Because you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the, the key to the body of Christ becoming what it's becoming is to completely dependent upon us coming into the truth that God is restoring. And so down through, if you track the church, church ages, you know, out of the dark ages into where we are today, we realize that, that God is restoring truths and that those truths are causing an expression of the earth that is increasingly powerful. But essentially... Uh, He's in charge of this. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we pray, God, that, that uh, you would restore the truths. Father, you would restore the truths and that we would have no fear. Give us a new quality of faith, Father, that enables us to embrace what it is you're doing. Amen? Amen. You know, despite the fact that so many of the people I knew in the Pentecostal world were very tentative about embracing word faith, I saw the message, the essential, the heart of it, still trickling into these circles. And uh, now, it, it might be slightly sanitized from its original version, but basically, the truth breaks through. So we had an, exper- an experience this week, which I thought was really powerful, so one of the speakers from Burlington, Ontario, was, got up and he shared something. And I can't even remember his message, but it was a great message. But at the end, he said, he said, you know what? 
he said, I'm, you know, we, we worship. I'm a worshiper. And he says, I, I love to sing. I love to lift my hands. I even occasionally dance, right? And, and he said, but one of the things I don't do and haven't done a lot of is shouting. He said, he said but there's something powerful about the shout. And I want us, as we're singing this song, and we're going to come to the end of this, we're going to sing it a couple more times, and I want us to shout. I want you to shout like you've never shouted before. And, I want, and not just a shout, but a sustained shout. And I, I, I was sitting there, and I thought, huh. And I look over at, to my right, and uh, Brett Esslinger, who's uh, uh, now with you know, West Edmonton Christian uh, Assembly, uh, he's, he's sitting there, and he goes, hmm, because you know, he knows we love to shout here. Right? Do we love to shout here? Yeah. And I, I'd love to preach on that. But, but you know, the, the shout is, is, instru- is instrumental to releasing the kingdom of God because your sound is important. The sound of the Lord coming from you, from your spirit, is what actually changes the world around you. That's why faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what we say is critical to all of this stuff. Anyway, so he, he, uh, he led us in this sustained shout. And uh, I mean, for me, you know, in the worlds that I run in, you know, in the global gatherings and stuff, I mean, this is nothing new, but it was, it was new for this environment, at, at least in terms of this exhortation. I'm sure everybody's done it before, once or twice. But I thought, I thought man, this is a new day. This is one of those things that is trickling into... One of these days, we're going to be going to Baptist churches... And they're going to be out shouting us. One of these days we're going to maybe pop by a Catholic church somewhere. And they're going to be praying in tongues and singing in tongues and shouting and bringing down heaven. You know, part of what God is doing is restoring the body of Christ with truth. And the truth that he's bringing is not exclusive to any particular group of people. It is coming to anybody who loves God. And so I love, I love you know, I love the fact that there are early adopters, and there always needs to be early adopters. You know, when it comes to technology, you're going to find that there's some people in our midst that always got the newest fangled, you know, gadget or something. Uh, but yeah, it's too complicated. I'll just use what I got. But eventually, that thing works its way around, and now every household has one. <laughs> you know, like the computer, like the, you know, the flat screen TV, like the you know, the fax machine and all, you know, all these things that a few people had, a handful, now everybody has one. Well, do you know that the spiritual truths that God is restoring are like that? Yeah. That, that those things. So start identifying who are the forerunners, who are the dependable forerunners that you know. You know, I'm not talking, there's always flakes out there, but who are the people of good character that you know that are stable? Watch them, watch what they're embracing, watch what they're adopting. Because chances are that thing is going to be coming to your home at some point. Instead of being resistant, well, you know, there's error, there's, a, there's problems here. Just grab a hold of it. I remember a few years ago I was, uh, I was doing a television program in Winnipeg. And, and I was out with the host, uh, the, the director of the, the, the television station. And we were talking, we ended up talking about Pastor Bob Birch. Pastor Bob Birch He's a spiritual father to me. Cindy Jacobs called him the Canadian Apostle of Prayer. He was the guy, and I, if you've heard this before, you know, bear with me a second. He was the guy that back in the, you know, the hippie days when the Spirit of God was being poured out in St. Luke's and Seattle was the center of the charismatic movement in North America. I mean, things were happening. Well, the Spirit of God fell on St. Margaret's 
in, uh, in, in Vancouver. This is a, is it Episcopalian or something like that church? I'm not, I'm not sure what it was. Anyway, the Spirit of God fell on that church. And Pastor Bob, he, uh, uh, I mean, the young people just streamed into his church. I remember him telling stories about the young people streaming into his church. And I'll, I'll tell you this little story because it's kind of good. Anyway, so, of course, they're very proper, right? They're very, you know, very organized, decently, and in order, everything is. But now he's got the church filled with, you know, long-haired, barefooted hippies, you know, have been born again. I mean, their lives haven't been totally changed yet, so they got a number of habits, and, you know, they don't really understand the kind of order that, you know, the older generation was expecting to happen in the church. But he said he was, he was at the front one time, he's in the middle of preaching, and he said the place is packed. I mean, it's, it's packed. There's nowhere to sit. And this guy comes in the back. He happens to have a bad limp. Now, and so he's limping down, the, 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 but he looks like he might be drunk. Furthermore, he has a little brown paper bag. <laughs> and he's, he's got, I don't know, a snack or something in there. But he comes in the back, and Pastor Bob notices him, and he, he thinks, uh, oh, how is this going to go? Well, the guy looks around. There's nowhere to sit. Nowhere in the whole building. I mean, this place is super packed out. But as, it, as, as fate would have it, there was a seat behind Pastor Bob on the stage with the choir. So, <laughs> and there was people sitting in the aisles and all kinds of stuff. So he, he meanders this way through this. And Pastor Bob is sitting there. And he says, he says oh, Lord, how long will I have to put up with this? <laughs> and the Lord said to him, yeah, until it doesn't bother you anymore. <laughs> In other words, it's not going to stop. But at some point, you will cross over when it stops being so significantly a problem for you. But so here's a man who, who, uh, who em- embraced the kingdom of God, embraced the newness of what God was doing in the most amazing ways. And he gave himself to revival. He gave himself to a younger generation. So I, I walked with Pastor Bob for many years, and I was on this television show, but we were out for lunch, and we are talking about the significant things that were happening in Canada. And this guy says to me, now he's, he's significantly older than me, and he says, you know what, years back, I heard about Pastor Bob, I met him, but I did not embrace what he was about. I just couldn't make sense of it. I just couldn't make sense of it. I, and so I, I kind of held back. And, and, uh, and I thought, wow. And he, he's bemoaning the fact that he didn't have the insight, you know, to, to grab a hold of this thing. But it wasn't, it wasn't being presented in a form. It wasn't sanitized enough for his Christian experience to absorb. So, uh, so I realized that, you know, what happens sometimes is now he loved my ministry and he loved what I was doing, but he couldn't get a hold of what Pastor Bob was doing. And I realized that what happens sometimes is that we're all escalating this mountain and we're going into the, the things of the heaven, the God's, God's kingdom. And sometimes there's somebody so far up the mountain that somebody in the bottom or, you know, three quarters of the, or a quarter of the way up or half the way up can't see them because they're just so far. But what you can see is somebody between them and, you know, there's somebody ahead of you that you can see, but you don't know who they're following. 
But you know what? Here's this beautiful thing in the, in the body of Christ. And watch for these patterns because they're very important. Sometimes we follow somebody who's following somebody. And you may not understand the person that they're following. But if they say that there's value in it, accept that. Trust that. You know, uh, because I believe, I believe that we're about to enter in a season where embracing the things of heaven is going to begin to happen at a speed uh, that, that will cause our heads to spin. And I believe the generation that is not even saved yet, that hasn't come into the church, is going to have a capacity to grab a hold of truth like no other generation. And so we need to be, you know, breaking through some of these reluctances that we have. Yeah. We, we, need to, we need to allow God to create adoption patterns in our life that are based on truth that don't take forever. Okay? I mean, you know, uh, there is a capacity to learn and adopt and adapt in us that's way beyond what we know. There's no reason it has to take 20 years for a church to change. No reason. It's all about this recalcitrance, this, uh, this un- unwillingness to be changed or be moved. Because, you know, if it, was, if it was important, don't you think I'd already know? Right? What, hmm, I wonder what that is. Pride, hubris, arrogance. Right? If God wants to do something, he'll do it through me. If God wants to do something, he can do it in my city. If God wants to do something, he'll do it in my stream. Because we're just as good as anybody. In fact, we're probably better, but I shouldn't say that. All right? Humility. God is looking, and often where he does things, it's in the most unlikely places, with some of the most unlikely people. And uh, so, God, forgive us, Father, for the way that we've insulated us because of fear, because of unbelief. We've insulated ourselves in what's comfortable, what's readily accepted by a large body of people, but, Lord, we become intransigent. We've become unwilling to move ahead. Father, change us in Jesus' name. Uh, Before the election, I felt like something needed to happen for Alberta, because I believe that God is raising up circles of people who are walking together, who are, who are responsible for their regions. We are responsible for our regions. We are responsible for our cities. We are responsible for our nations. One day, you know, God's going to line up the nations, the goat nations and the sheep nations. And, you know, there's no place for you to say, well, uh, I, you know, I wasn't really in charge of our nation. That's Justin Trudeau's problem. You know, or that was, that was Mr. Harper, or that was some other guy. No, the fact is that you carry more authority than you know. We just haven't learned how to express it. We just haven't learned how to connect that authority with the authority of our brother and sister and be a voice that changes the destiny of our region or our city or our, or our, uh, our town. So before the, the election last year, I was reminded again and again and again that there was a, a, a vision that my friend David Demian had some years ago when we were, we, were, we were battling for the destiny of Canada. Now, let me just say this. For those of you that have been involved in the battle for Canada, this is not a new expression. It really is 
a second kick at the same can. Years ago when the gatherings began, and we, some of us were involved in this across Canada, we actually, we are contending for the destiny of the nation of Canada. And we, we weren't just praying for it, but we realized that what needed to happen is a group of fathers and mothers in the land coming together and be a, being a remnant voice, being a people who say, God, you know, we want you, we, we want to know how to change our nation. We position ourselves as priests for this nation and we take on the responsibility for the direction, even though we're not in charge of the politics, even though we're not in charge of every governmental decision that's going on, we believe that the spiritual realm has authority over the natural realm and that God has given us weapons that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and that the key to changing the direction of a nation is not in the government, it's not in the culture, it's not in the television stations, it's not in CNN or CBC. Now, they may seem to be able to turn. They may seem to be able to shape the culture of the day and the mindsets of people. I'm telling you, there's something more powerful rising up in the earth. And it's a people who realize that they are joint heirs with God. It is a people who realize that they are co-rulers with God. That when God said to Adam, uh, you know, have dominion over the earth, that they, that same charge has been given to us. And so we begin to walk together to unlock the destiny of Canada. And some things happened. We ventured. We, 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 we began to see some things perfected. Some things happened. Some things shifted. But then God said, you know, what you don't realize is that there's, there's a, quite a lot of imperfection in your wonderful efforts. I'm very happy, but I'm going to take you through a sifting time where I'm going to pull out of you the things that are actually keeping this from being really effective. And so God brought us into a winter season where he pruned us. And he brought things out of our heart. And all of a sudden we began to realize there was pride, there was arrogance, there was ambition, there was all kinds of things. That despite the fact that we were contending for our nation, there was always a little bit of, you know, personal flag waving, you know, uh, we call it. And so we've come around to another season and we're beginning to contend for the nation again, the destiny of this nation. Because Canada didn't happen by accident. Canada is a nation that is born with a promise that God had a dream in his heart when he formed this nation, when he divided it from the other nations, when the, some of the early Americans thought, you know, the same revolution that is here needs to go to Canada, and they tried to make it happen. But actually, prophets of that day said, no, I've reserved this land for another purpose. Leave them alone. And so, you know, uh, so we have been secluded. We have been kept apart from being, you know, grafted into the United States. And we are a different nation with a different purpose. And this nation, I believe, is for the healing of the nations. So we are into something else now with the battles of Canada. We're still contending for the same thing. But we don't, we're, we're discovering what are the weapons that God has given us to change our nation. Well... David Demian had a vision of a canopy of glory that extended from one coast to the other coast over Canada. I mean, the presence of God raining down. And and it was like an umbrella. And he had a dream and a vision. He had it twice. And all of a sudden, uh, in the vision, he saw the canopy, but he telescoped in. And all of a sudden, 
came closer to it and realized, though it spread across the whole nation, it actually was made up somehow of regional, provincial canopies. And then he zeroed it in further, and when he did, he realized that there were city canopies, and there, there, there were regional canopies, and, and so on and so forth. And that the covering that caused the glory of God to rest on this land was, uh, was a blanket, but it was made up of parts. And so I had felt for a long time that Alberta needed to have something, something that was for the destiny of Alberta. Now, I believe that God put this in my heart, and I began to talk uh, to some other leaders, and they said, yeah, this is, this is the Lord. This was before the election. Well, we had the election, and you know what came out of the election. Not the government that Alberta wanted, but you know what has sprung up in the wake of that election has been a lot of disillusionment and a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, and it's still fermenting, and it's still growing, and there is a divisive voice that's starting to rise up and say, we don't need Canada, we shouldn't even be a part of this, that they're just holding us back. Well, that would be true if we didn't have weapons that were mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Yeah. If we didn't have the ability to change the world around us, if God hadn't said to us, listen, there's things inside of you in my, that are part of my spirit, but they're in you that are more powerful than you could possibly imagine. If that weren't the case, then the only recourse that we'd have is keep withdrawing and retreating to that place where we have a people of smaller and smaller, uh, you know, smaller and smaller groups, but have a common ground. You know, if we retreat, well, you know, politically, Alberta, maybe Saskatchewan, we are of the same mind. It's only a matter of time. If we did that, that the enemy would focus on Alberta and Saskatchewan. And the next thing you know, it'd be, well, Edmonton is, you know, going to hell in a handbasket. So let's all move to Regina and we'll hold Regina. And then the enemy will focus on Regina and, you know, attack Regina. And they say, well, we'll take North Regina. You know, it's just... Backing up and backing up and backing up, not because the enemy uh, is not successful, but because we don't really understand the destiny and the power that God has given us. Now, I know, I know that some are saying, man, I, I can barely make it to church on, on Sunday. You know, I'm barely living the Christian life. You know, I, I can't think along those lines. You know, I got, I got four young kids, I got this, I got their job, and I'm, you know, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm just barely making through from day to day. I can't be taking on the nation. <laughs> to him who has ears to hear, let him hear. And for sure, we are in a, each in a different place. And what we are able to contend for, believe for, is going to be different from person to person to person. But I want you to know this. You are capable of more than you know because his spirit is in you yes. and, and, and the whole journey our discipleship is actually discovering the resource that is already there and so we're on this path uh, and uh, but anyway let me dial it back I begin to feel like okay something needs to happen in Alberta and so I got together with some f- folks I talked about it and so we thought, well, let's, let's do a meeting after the election. Then the Wexit thing comes out. We think, hmm, we did a second meeting. Uh, we did one before the election, one after. And we suddenly realized maybe what God is doing for Alberta is to preserve us, is to preserve the Confederation of Canada, the Dominion of Canada. 
Because what if this voice, I mean, years ago we had this issue within Quebec all the time where that separatist voice was always fomenting. Always, I mean, you know what it does? It causes brothers and sisters to be divided. Because when there isn't uh, uh, unanimity around what, what we should be as a, as a group of people, even if you're in the same church, even if you believe for Jesus, you start saying, well, let's pray for Canada. You know what happens? There's some people in that church don't want to pray for Canada. Some people in that church are angry and bitter against Canada. I mean, wouldn't it be terrible if someday we were here and, and if somebody prophetically during the worship said, let's pray for Canada, we got out the Canadian flag and half the church left? Half the church walked out because the anger was so severe? This is what the enemy does. And so Alberta Linked is an effort to bring together intercessors, apostles, prophets, leaders into one place to begin to forge a union, to begin to forge what Dean Briggs in his book, Ecclesia Rising, calls Ecclesia, strangely enough. The word Ecclesia is not, it's the Greek word that we translate in the Bible, church. You you heard that word, church? Church is actually the word Ecclesia, and Ecclesia is a political governmental word. Okay? It's a governmental word borrowed from the Hellenistic Greeks who had used it for many, many years, and it actually represented a, a ruling council. The, the government that they had was a ruling council that made decisions for the cities and for the lands. So when Jesus is saying, I will build my church, he's not saying, I'm going to build a nice little community of people who you know, gather together on Wednesday nights, Sundays, and occasionally do potlucks. He said, no, no, no. I am building my ecclesia. I am going to bring forth a ruling council a people who understand the power that is at work within them. They understand the resources of the angelic hosts and what is in heaven and what is just waiting to rain down on parcels of land across the earth. I'm waiting for a people to lay hold of this. He says, when they start to walk in this, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against them. So what does an ecclesia look like? Well, we began to experiment with our journey in Canada. And what we discovered was an amazing capacity for intimacy that we never knew before. Uh, And I know this is turning into a long announcement. But we discovered that brothers dwelling together in unity is more than being in the same room tolerating one another. It's, it's more than being a people who, who actually, you know, occasionally have a meal together and invite others over to their house and, and uh, you know, until such time as they're done with you and you go to your own house. I can't stand you anymore. I, I need a four-day break from you. <laughs> Intimacy, fellowship, love causes us to build, to enjoy one another. I think, wow, that's, that's fine within limits. What if there were no limits? What if you had a capacity to enjoy one another and say, well, you could say that, you're an extrovert. Introvert, extrovert. Well, your hurdles might be different than mine, but the truth at the end of the day of fellowship, 
The truth of actually being able to enjoy one another and love one another crosses all the boundaries, all the limitations of what we are. But we discovered in this journey that when we worshiped God, when we laid hold of truth together, and it was over many years, that this invisible, almost intangible commodity began to grow in our hearts, and it was a fondness for one another. And we started to realize that when we came back together, the level of exaltation uh, over one another and, and the celebration and the capacity to value one another just was growing and growing and growing. And, uh, you know, it, it just gave us this, this ability to appreciate one another we never had before. That's the foundation for the ecclesia. It's a, it's a foundation of love. It's a foundation of not of, okay, let's come together for a good idea for a short period of time. You know, can we, can we keep this together for a week and can we do this initiative before we're ready to scatter and go a hundred different directions? What if one of the chief commodities that God was building over the face of the earth, one of the things that, that the enemy was warring against was our ability to be one because he knows that as soon as I can be one with you and you can be one with me, that he's finished. The gates of hell will not be able to withstand not just a community of brothers and sisters tolerating one another, but a people who come together, who hear from heaven, who say this far and no further who say to principalities and powers as a governmental voice, you shall not pass. You will not enter. The image, every time I see that, I I see, of course, two images. One of, obviously, as uh, Amanda just pointed out in her chuckle, was uh, uh, Lord of the Rings. You know, right? You shall not pass, right? That's not just a movie quote. That's That's a prophetic intercession of a governmental body that says, you know, you're not going to rule here. And we have authority to keep you out. But there's another picture that always comes back to me, and I shared this in a sermon a number of years ago from a movie called Mississippi Burning. In the movie Mississippi Burning, I can't remember who the actors were, but basically uh, it's about the racism in the South and and the oppression against the blacks, but what happened was a white woman was, was assaulted by her boyfriend. But what she did is, he, and I don't know if she was killed or something, but she blamed it on a black slave. And, of course, that created all this uproar, and they began, uh, in that county, they began attacking and killing blacks. And, I mean, it just an eruption in, in the community. Anyway, one good night when they're all, all those old boys were up drinking and carousing, and they decided they're going to hop in their trucks and go over to the next county, and began to you know do the same thing there, but when they got to the county line, they were met with a blockade of trucks and men with shotguns, and said, uh-uh, "Not here. You turn around, you take your little party, and you go home. We are we are fine with our people here, and you're not bringing that here. That's an, a manifestation 
of the authority of the role of Ecclesia that says the principalities of power. Because let me tell you, what's happening right now, globally, what's happening right now, everything from the economic policy to the disillusionment to the fear, I mean, everything that's happening is not rooted in a rationale that you can put your finger on. It's rooted in the power of principalities. Spiritual rulers, dark powers of this age that are actually breathing upon philosophies and, and people and voices and sending them to do their bidding. If we take the wind out of the sails of those things through an ecclesia that says, this far but no further, the line stops here. In the words of Jean-Luc Picard, <laughs> That's what an ecclesia is. Well, so what is the event? It's called Alberta Link. It's a venture. It's a calling together of, of leaders, intercessors, pastors from a call across Alberta to come here to this building. Now, can we fit them all? I don't know. I don't know. But I believe it's time. I believe we need to do this. I believe our church needs to be involved. So I need you. I need the equity of your faith. I need, I need your, 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 your bodies in the building. I, I need your, your, your prayers. I need your declarations. I need your intercessory friends. Like, you know, we, we were looking at get, going somewhere else, but nothing else is really opening up. So we're doing it here. We got about room for, with overflow in the fellowship hall, about 650. It'd be wonderful if 800 showed up. It'd be wonderful if 1,500 showed up. We might have to scramble to find another place. But but for such a time as this. Amen? So, Alberta Linked. There's a Facebook page. There's a website. AlbertaLinked.com So if you want to look at that, please don't hesitate. If any of this seems important to you, jump all over this. Be a part of it. Amen? Amen. Let me share one thing and then we'll close with this. In prayer this morning, I, uh, I believe God wants to break off of us. And this is connected maybe to what I was just sharing. Christian fatalism. Christian fatalism is a, is a paralyzing force. It works in tandem with fear. It works in tandem with unbelief. But it causes you to question what you're permitted to do, what you're allowed to do. And, of course, there's a, a scripture, for example, in James that says, you know, don't say you're going to do that, but if the Lord wills, do that. And uh, anyway, I'm not even going to talk about that, that, that thing, but that's one scripture. And certainly there's a place where hubris, and the, if there's an exhortation to say, listen, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, but you can't do anything by yourself. Fair enough. But what has happened is sometimes the enemy wants to take that, you know, if the Lord wills, and put it on you and lay over you a carpet of uncertainty and say, nothing you ever determined to do is really legally or permitted, so you must wait passively by until you get explicit directions from heaven. Otherwise, you're not allowed to do anything. I kind of grew up under that sort of uh, model. You know, kids were... To be seen, no, was it seen and not heard? Yeah, yeah. 
And, you know, when I went to my grandma's house, and I've told this story before, but when I went to my grandma's house, you know, we, were, we had to sit and not make any noise. We weren't sure what we were allowed to do because we, we, were, we were given so many austere warnings, you know. And I'm looking at my cousin, and he's running around like a banshee, and, you know, he's, he's playing like it's his own house. In fact, he's got toys there, and he's got a bed there. He's got his own room there. And I'm thinking, man, you know, why is it I have no permission and he has all this permission? You know, why aren't I free to do anything? And he's, you know, but that, that juxtaposition between what I felt I was allowed to do and what he seemed to be allowed to do is kind of the same juxtaposition between sons who have realized that they are co-heirs with God and people who are, you know, bound still by fear and uncertainty. And the enemy wants you to stay in uncertainty. But I want to share two scriptures. Mark chapter 6, verse 48. And this was the time when, you know, they got into the boat. They were over in one part of the land. And Jesus said to them, okay, get in the boat and go over to the other side. And they start to go over to the other side. And they're rowing. And the wind is blowing. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes walking on the water. Remember that one? And it says this. It says, then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed by. You know, it's like they're sitting there rowing and, you know, you know and he's just going, hmm. Right? He's going by, kind of ignoring them. Like, he's, gonna, he's just going to walk to the other side. But what do they do? They, hey! You know, you know, and of course, Peter steps out and end up, Jesus ended up coming into their boat. But he, he acted like he was going to pass by. Now, the fatalists among us would say, well, you know, that's, I guess that's the will of the Lord. We're here stuck rowing in the middle of the sea. You know, the wind's against us. We might die, but apparently this is what God wants. Apparently, you know, far be it from me to lift up my voice and say, Jesus, help me. Far be it for me to decide for the Son of God that he should take a different direction, a different path. You know, doesn't even enter the equation. It's like their voices changed what Jesus decided to do. Luke 24, 28, they're walking on the road to Emmaus to the disciples. Jesus joins them, and of course, Jesus had died, and, uh, and they're, they're, you know, he's resurrected now, but they don't know what's going on. And they're walking on there, and they're, they're you know, wondering about all these things. Jesus comes, and he, he begins to speak with them, and he shares them about how this should have happened, and he goes through the scripture, and their hearts are burning within them. And it says in verse 28 of Luke 24, Then they knew, drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. In other words, he wasn't planning on stopping. He gave no overtures that had any intention of doing anything beyond this. But they compelled him to come in. I want to say, faith enables you to do things that others dare not do. There's a big difference between arrogance and faith. And to to the novice, arrogance and faith may look like the same. To the young, spiritually young. I mean, when I was a young believer, and God was actually... Digging in my life and breaking the pride and the rebellion and those things. I mean, everything was about obedience. And so anytime I saw somebody do something of their own accord, I thought, the arrogance. You know, and some preacher would talk about their, you know, how they needed, they're called to go and take care of it. I thought, I thought, how arrogant that you would just take that upon yourself. 
But there comes a transition where it ceases to be about dealing with rebellion, where God says, no, you actually are a co-ruler with me, and I've dealt with that, that uh, much of that self-centered, self-driving, prideful you know, disposition, but now I want you to learn to pick up the authority Pick up the bat, your, your sword, pick up your voice, pick up the initiative to do what I've called you to do. And yet your sound and your voice has the ability to change the course of even Jesus. So Father, I pray you would, you would deliver us from the fear, deliver us from the uncertainty Father, even if we do it wrong, even if we venture, and even if you have to bring correction, God, we're not going to be immobilized by that sense of questioning whether we have value or permission. Lord, you've called us into your house. You've called us your sons and your daughters. You've given us the spirit of adoption. You've said, you've said I'm, I'm, I'm bringing, you have the run of my house. Ah, Let's just wait on him for a second as we're closing. Father, you began this thing in us. You saved us. You said, Jesus said, no one can come unless my Father given the power to come. Father, you've given us the ability to become sons of God. You've translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear Son. Father, we say we draw upon the power of the Holy Spirit to unlock destinies, to unlock gifts, to unlock anointings, to unlock callings. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that out of this church and out of this body, the champions of the faith, the voices of authority that will speak to government, that will speak to councils, that will speak to media, that will birth initiatives that change this land. Father, let the sons of God, the children of the Most High, begin to emerge into the marketplace. Father, in Jesus' name, liberty, 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 liberty and boldness. God, let the audacity of the adopted child who knows who their father is begin to rise up in us. Begin to rise up in us. Ho! God, and when sickness, when cancer... When debilitating disease begins to creep at our doorway, we will say, how dare you? In Jesus' name, arrest the impulse that says, oh, what have I done wrong? How is God punishing me? But says, no, how dare you? You do not have the right. You shall not pass. I do not accept this in Jesus' name. This is not my destiny. This is not my future. You will not take my children. You will not take my wife. You will not take my in-laws. You will not take my my neighborhood. You will not take my city. And you will not have Alberta. And you will not have Canada. Let a voice of faith rise up. Father, I pray for the revelation 
the realization that we can bring an atmosphere of heaven down, that even unsaved neighbors will begin to respond. We'll begin to know that this is right. This is righteous. Oh, God. Overcomers. God is calling you to be an overcomer. Yeah. You are not a victim. Let's stand up together. Father, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Ha. You can stamp your feet at the dogs that bite at your heels. You can stamp your feet and you can say, No, fear, torment, depression, in Jesus' name. That, that darkness that lurks in the shadows and comes into your sleep and comes into your rooms at night, in Jesus' name. Send the fear of God into it. You have authority. Well, we're going to close the service, but, you know, God is here today. He wants to impart faith into our heart. God, we want that faith in our hearts. I feel we're walking in a new season. It's a season when boldness is going to fall upon the church in a way that it's never fallen upon the church before. You're going to walk in a faith that you've never walked in before. And it's not just going to take place inside this house. It's going to take place when you go to work. It's going to take place when you go shopping. It's going to take place in the schools. It's going to take place in every place you go. Because that faith will rule your hearts. So be blessed as you leave. The altars are open. We'll have people up here praying for you.